fairy tales, children's stories about magical and imaginary beings and lands. Often the first lens we give young minds to view the world they live in. Many assume these are fictional stories to be taken lightly, but what if there is more to them? This is a podcast where we'll tell you some myths and tales that you thought you knew, and we'll show you how they are connected to real-life crimes today. This is Scary Tales, where the stories of your childhood meet real-life horror. We'll discuss how the light and happy tales of youth actually have a darker history to them. We'll also discuss true crime today and some of the eerie connections they have to the myths and legends of yesterday. Tune in for a new tell every other Tuesday. You can find us on Spotify, Apple, and anywhere you stream your podcast. Start us off with an Irish blessing. I can't do an Irish accent, so that's fine. It's just going to be what it is. That's fine. May your troubles be less and your blessings be more and nothing but happiness come through your door. That's beautiful. Mm-hmm. I feel like you. that very much so embodies the Irish yeah. um, way of life. They're all just like, let's go down to the pub and let's get some fish and chips and some beef stew and, and pet a sheep. And, and, and pet a sheep. Mm-hmm. Did you pet a sheep? Uh, I, 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 I absolutely picked up a sheep and thought about taking it I'm back. Not, not surprised. Doesn't yeah. surprise me one bit. Mm-hmm. If you would come back with a sheep and a sheepdog. It, I'm, I still don't understand why I'm an American. I don't either. My soul belongs in Ireland. <laughs> and according Your to our soul. demographics, we have yeah, some what? listeners in Ireland. Oh, do mm-hmm. we? We do. I we do. <laughs> I love that. Um, well, so today we are talking about... St. Patrick's Day. St. Patrick's Day. Mm-hmm. Uh, so not necessarily a specific story, more so just St. Patrick's Day in general and the history behind it. Mm-hmm. So no Disney or Grimm for you today. Although no. we do have an entire book of fairy and folk tales of Ireland. So there, there we're will gonna, be yeah, we're other gonna be, episodes. We're going to be bringing some of those to you with other episodes. But we thought the first one just needed to be kind of an overview. Because mm-hmm. we could do a whole episode on leprechauns. So we'll keep that Which out of today. we probably will. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The picture, you, you found a terrifying picture of leprechauns to put on our note sheet. So mm-hmm. thank you for that. But yeah, yeah. We are, we'll talk about them more later but today we're just talking what is saint patrick's day who is saint patrick his name wasn't even saint patrick to start no, off with it wasn't lots of things that you probably don't know about saint patrick's uh-huh. day you probably only know green pinching drinking mm-hmm. Those and are, i didn't even think i forgot about pinching because i just like ban that do not touch me well, do not I'd, hug me do I'd, not pinch me should have worn you wore a, a beautiful green dress to film this episode and mm-hmm. i am an all black like i'm going to a funeral so <laughs> pinch me later thanks mm-hmm. okay okay so today saint patrick's day we want to tell you a little bit about it um you probably know celebrated on march 17th and march 17th is the anniversary of saint patrick's death so this is a incredibly popular holiday it has been celebrated for over a thousand years Started off as a religious holiday, has kind of morphed into a more non-religious, just kind of patriotic type of holiday. Mm-hmm. So, do you celebrate St. Patrick's Day? I'm, I do I not. Just, yeah. It, I mean, I'd go, I'd go out to a pub and have a green beverage. If you went to, if you had a ticket to Ireland, you'd be all for that. That's how you want mm-hmm. to celebrate. Well, St. Patrick is obviously the person who this holiday is named after. He was the patron saint of Ireland and their national kind of apostle. Ironically enough, though, he was not Irish. And that's the kicker. And that's kind of the kicker. (laughs) 
is not even Irish. Not even Irish, which good for him. You become like the national symbol of a country that you weren't even from. Yeah. Bravo. He was British. When he was younger, um, he there's there's a autobiography, a very short one about himself called The Confessio. So he kind of confesses some of what his life was about. And according to this narrative that he wrote, he was born in a for, to a nice family around 386 AD in Britain, again, not Ireland, mm-hmm. along the coast, most likely in Wales. Um, this was all what would have been part of the Roman Empire at that time. His father was supposedly a Christian deacon and a minor Roman official, and his grandfather was a priest, so he was a pastor's kid. Mm-hmm. And even though his father worked for the church and was this Christian deacon, it was probably more likely a financial reason and not necessarily a, not solely a religious reason. Again, with it being kind of part of this Roman empire, you know, how to support a family. There were tax incentives for working with the church. Being a member of the clergy. Yeah. So... Patrick himself wasn't necessarily super religious that it he wasn't just because his father and grandfather worked for a church he wasn't really like known in his younger years to be super devoutly religious and like going mm-hmm. to church all the time um, Roman Empire there was lot but lots of kind of uh, fighting uh, ransacking just tension and turmoil so towards the edge of the end of the Roman Empire people were starting to come in and kind of attempt to take over. And so there was a group of Irish marauders or kind of like pirates, if you will, Mm -hmm. that came to the um, coast of Britain and they would raid villages and plunder and steal treasures and wealth and kidnap people. Mm Mm-hmm. So, so very much so just like straight up pirate. Right, yeah. Like and, and some people were using the term marauders and then other people like in their books were using the term pirates cuz because there's there's a lot more I kind of forget when you know being in America just that Europe has so much more water involved mm-hmm. in their like geography. So they would have been sailing ships and taking things back to their ship and sailing back to their their country. So one of these groups of pirates came and uh, kidnapped. They, they, they were known for kidnapping kids as well and taking them back as slaves. There was one band of warriors that was dispatched by Ireland's king. They kidnapped a 16-year-old boy named Sukkot. Not close to Patrick. Not close to Patrick at <laughs> I'm all. I'm not sure how we got from Sukkot to Patrick. I, I don't know either, but, well, I, I have an idea. Okay. So... So, yeah, so this is, this 16-year-old boy is going to be, later be our St. Patrick. He was, so he was kidnapped at 16, torn away from his family, which was not super unusual for this time period. Again, it was very, like, the slave trade was more prevalent than we would have, than you may have realized. Uh, Kidnapping kids and using them as slave labor, uh, mostly for farming and shepherding. There were other, a few other Roman resources that mentioned that the Irish had been raiding Britain for pretty regularly for at least a century before Patrick was kidnapped or before, um, I'm sorry, Sukkot mm-hmm. was kidnapped, which uh, was in the early 400s. 
Sounds just like a very tumultuous time. Yeah, and it had been going on for a while, and nobody had really been able to stop it. There was a quote from a Thomas Cahill in a book called How the Irish Saved Civilization, and he said, one of the most horrifying features of this period is the wholesome enslavement of free men and women. He goes on to say, in the slavery business, no tribe was fiercer or more feared than the Irish. Which I didn't know that about the Irish. Mm-hmm. Apparently they just were real good at snatching people. Mm-hmm. Snatching your children up. As uh, the Roman power eventually kind of faded, the Irish raids grew more common. Obviously when one group becomes less powerful, another group is going to step in and become more powerful. So as the Roman power faded, Irish power grew and on a more regular basis they began stealing animals and clothes and children they would just go in in the middle of the night and take kids out of their beds while they were sleeping and they specifically kind of targeted young men as a like i said as shepherds or farmers so they could herd sheep and cattle and then they would less frequently take young women as like house servants so Patrick was stolen from his home as a and, and he for six years served as a shepherd to a local chieftain of Ireland in like Northern Ireland. And for six years he pretty much lived in isolation, didn't have a lot of food and clothing, lived in isolation just out in the mountains and fields with the sheep. And this is where he started to become more religious. So even though he grew up for 16 years in a religious household, this is really when he started to become more of a Christian where he prayed a lot. He um, was known or has multiple times said that he had visions from God or could hear God's voice. He was noted as praying as many as a hundred times a day. And then again, a hundred times that night. So that's just all day long. Yeah, I mean, if you have no one else to talk to, you know, I can see why that would be something that he would turn to. Mm-hmm. He wrote in his autobiography that six years into his captivity, an angel appeared to him in a dream and told him, you have fasted well, very soon you will return to your native country, which was Britain. Mm-hmm. And so when he, the angel had mentioned that he would be able to return to his country and mentioned something about a ship leaving and that he would return by boat. So he immediately, when he woke up, traveled 200 miles through this just Irish country land to get to the nearest port that he could find. And the first boat he found, he which was like just like a regular cargo ship, not necessarily like a person ship. Mm-hmm. He um, got on it, and it was he got on the first ship he could find that was going back to Europe. So six years of being a shepherd eventually mm-hmm. gets home. Uh, at first, the captain of this boat refused him passage because that's just not how it would it would have worked back then. So again, Patrick turns to praying. And before he could even finish with the prayer that he was praying, a sailor from the ship came and shouted, come quickly, the men are calling for you. And after learning that the captain had changed his mind, so eventually this, I guess this helped the captain change his mind because he was like, oh, people are calling for him. Uh, Patrick sailed away from Ireland 
and kind of credited all of it to God, to God's God protecting him, to him being able to escape, to him giving him this vision. So that was the start of his religious journey. There was another book called St. Patrick Retold the Legend and History of Ireland's Patron Saint, because there are a lot of legends surrounding him, that has questioned this slavery part of St. Patrick's story. The author of this book, Roy Fletchner, says, The traditional story that Patrick was kidnapped from Britain, forced to work as a slave, but managed to escape and reclaim his status is likely to be fiction. And he said this in a Cambridge University study. He goes on to say, the probability that Patrick managed to cross from his alleged place of captivity in Western Ireland Ireland back to Britain undetected at a time when transportation was extremely complicated is highly unlikely. So you've got half the population saying, carrying on with this common tradition that he was kidnapped And then you've got some historians that are starting to question that. This author asserts that rather than coming to Ireland against his will, Patrick probably deliberately fled to the island to avoid inheriting his father's job, which involved being a Roman tax collector. So working for the church, but collecting taxes kind of as the, you know, as his technical political duty which was becoming an increasingly dangerous job. It was a risky job financially because the empire was starting to collapse. Um, The debt collectors were, or the tax collectors were responsible for then paying any money that they couldn't get out of their own pockets. Mm -hmm. So this guy's arguing that rather than him being a slave and kidnapped, he could have kind of been a runaway that he, it was more likely that, um, Patrick was ran away and was avoiding falling into the same steps as his footfather. He says it was more likely that Patrick was actually a slave trader because he proclaimed himself a wealthy man at the time when Ireland lacked this monetary economy and slave trading was one of the few lucrative businesses. So So you got some people who think he's a saint and some people who think he's he's a a slave slave trader. trader. Yeah. That, that he's that they think maybe he fell more on the side of slave trading than being traded in slavery. Okay. I guess it's his word against theirs. Yeah. He, the same guy, Fletchner, says, the traditional leg- legend was instigated by Patrick himself in the text that he wrote because this is how he wanted to be remembered. So that book I was telling you, his autobiography in the mm-hmm. beginning of this, is one of the only texts that really we really have like about St. Patrick. So, which makes sense. I mean, you do have to look at who's the the writer of certain things and what would be their their motive. But either way, in both stories, Patrick does eventually return to his family in Great Britain. His family's happy that he's back. They don't want him to leave again, whether he left on his own or was kidnapped. They want him to stay. But he continues to be have these religious visions that he claims that he had when he was working as a shepherd in Ireland. And this time, they were a little bit different. This time, the voice was an Irish voice that called out to him and said, We beg you, holy boy, come back and walk among us again. So he claims that he has these visions that are that are calling him back to Ireland. 
And part of what he then did to prepare to go back is he got religious training. So he eventually does fall into the footsteps of his father, um, works for the church, gets religious training, ends up being ordained as a deacon around 418 AD. And then in 432, he was consecrated as a bishop and is given the the religious name Patricius or Patrick. So Patris, Patricius, mm-hmm. Patricius, 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 Totalis, Patrick mm-hmm. in the Americanized English. Right. So he's given a more religious name, and that's the name that he's known by. He, although many freed slaves would have not wanted to return to their place of captivity, Patrick was very much set on returning to Ireland, which I think is another reason why people question it. Like, why would you want to go back to somewhere that like was horrible to you? But he wants to return to Ireland. That's where his mission field, he sees his mission field as when he returns, Ireland was mostly pagan. And so he goes back and instead of tending to actual sheep, he's more tending to that like religious flock where he's trying to, learn, you know, the custom and the language and and become, you know, part of the people so that he can lead them to Christianity. And he was known to convert and uh, baptize some of the pagan priests and the chieftains and some of the even wealthy aristocrats um, by the thousands. So he did a good job when he, when he went back. He was very much a religious like influence before he eventually died on March 17th, 461 AD. Which is now when we celebrate St. Patrick's Patrick's Day. Day. I read once that he, you know, his name was obviously becoming very popular and he was going back to Ireland and he specifically wanted to go back and see the man who was his like slave owner or master. Mm -hmm. And he wanted to like, make amends with him but apparently he heard that saint patrick was coming and the legend goes that he put all of his like prop all all of his treasures and wealth everything he owned in the house set the house on fire and then threw himself onto the flames because he didn't want to be like i think he said something or like or wrote something to someone about how he didn't want to be vanquished by his former slave Mm. which patrick was just going back to be like let me lead you to Jesus, and the uh-huh. guy didn't want right. to have that interaction. Uh, later, obviously in all the centuries following his death, which again, March 17th, the mythology and like legend surrounding his life just became more ingrained in the Irish culture. So his death is kind of what immortalized him. And the most well-known legend of St. Patrick probably is, and, and this is something we still kind of think about today is the three leaf clover Mm -hmm. the shamrock is supposedly how he explained the holy trinity to people is that he would use the three leaves of the irish clover or the shamrock to explain the father son and holy spirit Mm -hmm. so which i think is kind of cool i like that i'd never heard that before i'm sure there's plenty of all i ever all i ever thought was that isn't the three leaf clover supposed to be lucky Mm -hmm. that's all i ever knew about the three leaf clover right do you want to share some of the other legends about him? Sure. Uh, they believe that he was able to raise people from the dead. Sure. I feel like there would be some documentation on that. Mm-hmm. This is my favorite one. 
that, and I didn't know this before we started researching it, but he has been believed to have drove out snakes from Ireland. And so I was looking this up and I was like, wait, do are there no snakes in Ireland? And I looked it up and apparently there are no snakes in Ireland. And the reason they, they accredit that to St. Patrick driving all the snakes out. Which I, I, I love that. I did I did a little bit more digging on uh-huh. that but I think there is a more scientific reason for that because Ireland it is, is cold cold it's surrounded by it's surrounded by cold water mm-hmm. and so I read that there were no snakes to begin with in Ireland because mm-hmm. there's no fossil records of snakes right so you're trying to tell me there's not a single snake in Ireland all of Ireland that's what I've heard that's I need to move to Ireland. Mm-hmm. I don't like snakes. I don't we like have, we snakes. Have a lot, we have a lot here. And like, it's symbolic, like the snake yeah. that crawls on his belly. And yeah, I think, it, I think it was supposed to be more of the symbolism there, but I think somebody took the fact that they were like, there are no snakes in Ireland. How mm-hmm. do we explain that? Oh, yes. St. Patrick. Here you go. Green was not the original color of St. Patrick's Day. It was actually blue. But when I think of Ireland and just like the landscape and everything, it's so green. Yeah. And I think that kind of just goes better their flag has green in it not blue and so i think they kind of just adopted the green i think blue too was historically more associated with britain like Uh they were red they had the red and blue yeah and i think ireland wasn't wasn't wanting to be associated with that yeah and plus you ever seen a blue shamrock no no Mm -mm. doesn't fit the narrative green green is where it's at saint patrick's day the very first saint patrick's day like official celebration was probably around ninth or 10th century. That's, a, that's how long they've been observing this like Roman Catholic feast day kind of. So back then it was more of the religious feasting celebration, not necessarily Irish, you know, now it's not necessarily Irish or religious. It's kind of just green and food. Yes, I feel like St. Patrick's Day is the the main theme is green drinks, yeah, food, party. Right. It's not it's leprechauns. Le- leprechauns, yeah. The first St. Patrick's Day parade actually took place not in Ireland but America. So I'm like, what? Because Americans ho- are like, what holiday is this? He's not even Irish, <laughs> and the first like parade, which is what it's known for, was actually in America, in mm-hmm. New York City. Because mm-hmm. we like Americans love a reason to party. Yeah, I heard that there were. New York City had a parade. People say that a Spanish colony in down in Florida, which is what is now like St. Augustine, Florida, which again, it makes sense. You got some of the saints connected there, some of the religious background. But yeah, 1601, not, not in Ireland, in America. In America. That eventually goes back over to Ireland and they, they have parades now too. But a century later is when there's this, that New York parade that I was talking talking about was our homesick Irish soldiers had been who had been serving in the English military were marching through New York City um, on their way to go like get a drink and they were honoring the, their patron saint so they were kind of celebrating their heritage but in the streets of New York City and I guess America was like that looks fun we'll start doing that mm-hmm. um, other places Boston is really known um has a lot of i think irish immigrants so they were well known for having more of these um celebrations eventually boston had its first saint patrick's day in 1737 
New York City had an official one in 1762. Chicago, uh, the first time Chicago turned its river green, which I do think that's kind of cool. That would be fun to see, Mm -hmm. um, in 1962. But St. Patrick's Day was not officially an Irish holiday until 1903. Yeah, they saw how much fun the Americans were having, and they were like, let's just... Yeah, and I do. I, I read there there was a period of time where it was banned because you know again a lot of political turmoil. The Roman Empire was falling, and England and Ireland were fighting, and all this stuff. And so I think there was a period of time where it was banned. So it was like it was a religious holiday, then it was banned, then like it randomly gets celebrated in America, and then it goes back over to Ireland. But but here we are. It's a thing these days. Uh, but now it's a thing. So. We're strange over here. Got some strange minds. But I'm excited. I'll, I'll, this year we should I'll celebrate. A, yeah, I'll throw a green shamrock on my shirt this year. Um, I'm wearing green right now. Just you are. In honor I know. Of the podcast. I, know. I'm, I love and, it. And we also have a green snack coming up. Yes, we do. So I think it's going to be delicious. I think we should head on over and try her out. It's a snack. Break. It's a Can snack. Can you sing an Irish jig or a, a little bitty snack? <laughs> that feels more Irish. Thank you. Um, what are you, are you doing? You're typing over there. I'm, getting, I'm just I'm studying. Today on snack break, Aspen provided the snack break. She sponsored us, and she <laughs> saw these in the store. And the only reason we're doing this on the St. Patrick's Day episode is because these are green. But yeah. it is the key lime pie m&ms aspen is a connoisseur of m&ms so do you well, like key lime pie i love key lime pie mm-hmm. and i like m&ms i'm You're, a little rattled by the combination okay I'm just i don't gonna know reach in here and get me one i don't know are you not rattled by the combination um just don't care this week you're just i'm you're, just over this week Let's remind, but you're just excited it. about ireland mm-hmm I got a, a good got uh, assortment too. of colors. They've okay. got some like white ones, some uh, pale green ones, some dark green ones. Mm-hmm. Okay. Found them at Target, I believe. Okay. Ready? Okay. ASMR. Oh. Mm. She, okay. I'm getting like a crusty, a cr- not a crusty, a crust taste. Okay. The key, the... I'll have me another. The the key lime, the lime part, you don't get that until like aftertaste. Mm-hmm. It's like, first like a crust, like the crunchy, crust, a flaky yeah. crust. Yeah. And it's a, um, it's a, it's white chocolate, I I mm-hmm. imagine, or I think mm-hmm. the inside of it's white. So at first I just feel like I'm eating a white chocolate M&M, but then. That lime the, is aftertaste. The after, yeah. One, the after flavor is the key lime. Mm-hmm. Those are good. Mm-hmm. I do, and yeah, mm-hmm. I would get that again. I'm gonna eat me several more while we're what's sitting your favorite, here. What's your favorite kind of M and M? Plain old and chocolate. How does, and how does this rank to it? Now, out of the specialty M and Ms, I would say the brownie batter is better than these. Yeah, that would be my number one. Okay. These might be my number two. Oh, okay. As far as overall snack break goes, I'm gonna give it a eight. Yep. They're fun. Mm-hmm. I'd, I'd rather I'd rather I'd rather have a piece of key lime pie. 
yes than a key lime but pie also M&M. i would rather have a piece of lemon icebox pie over key lime pie i think i'd go key lime pie over mm. lemon icebox pie but i'd rather have the real deal of a piece a slice of key lime pie than the m M&M. and mm-hmm. but the m m's suffice mm-hmm. good. go out and get you some thanks m m's all right that's your snack break for this week we'll see you next week might have a couple surprises might be a very extravagant snack break. It could be. I'm mm-hmm. excited. All right. Should true, we get back to the true crime, the true crime time? Welcome back. Thank you. It's the second part of our show where we get talk spooky. about it. Yep. Talk about a true crime. That relates to the fairy tale we discussed, or not the fairy tale, but legend, yeah. holiday, whatever, yeah. in like the first the, half. The legend behind St. Patrick, which mm-hmm. I'm not, explain the true crime connection. I'm always oh. fascinated by your, the connections that you find that like. There's no real connection to St. Patrick. It's just, this is one of the most famous true crime stories to ever come out of Ireland. Oh, perfect. Mm-hmm. I, so I just typed that into Google. I was going to say, I can't, I can't say that I can like think of a lot of popular Irish cr- to, true crime. Mm-hmm. But So what did you find? So today I'm going to bring you the story of the Scissor Sisters. <laughs> you were not a great... You were in a great supporter of the title. <laughs> that yeah, that's an unfortunate name. I don't love that. That's what they are known as. I can't help it. The Scissor Sisters. You of were Ireland. Sing, and you kept you kept singing the um, Cheetah Girls song. We but... Scissor Girls, we Scissor Sisters. <laughs> Come on, somebody. And they, if you look up a picture of these girls and their mom, they remind me of Cinderella, <gasps> Lady Tremaine, and Drusilla. And, oh, they do. And yeah, they're they're rough looking. Yeah. Um, look, we just like straight mean. up shaved our eyebrows off and drew them on with a pencil. Yeah, they look kind of mean. Um, you can go over to our Instagram. We'll post all the pictures. Right, but like so I said, this tell, tell is about one of the most famous true crime stories to ever come out of Ireland. And uh, I'm going to tell you about it right now. So the Mulhall family, they lived in South Dublin. And it was a rather large family that consisted of the parents, John and Kathleen Mulhall, as well as six children, three boys, and two girls. The Scissor Sisters, as they would later be um, known as, were Linda and Charlotte Mulhall. Okay, so my my mind went to their name was maybe Scissor, and that's why they're the Scissor Sisters, but it's not. So now my mind... Mm -mm. Scissors, Hannah, Scissors... They they cut things. Yeah, they cut things up. Oh, good. Oh, you know great. what I mean. Yeah, scissors perfect. girls with scissors sisters. <laughs> great, I'm so excited. Oh me. Reportedly, John, the husband, abused his wife Kathleen throughout their relationship, and the children were witnesses to this, unfortunately. And I think we all know that children that have to witness abuse or abuse themselves go on to have problems in the future and these girls and this family definitely did so we'll get to that in a second but linda she was the oldest of the sisters and she was 30 years old at the time of the murder that we're going to be discussing today and she had four children a little backstory on linda she uh, never worked a day in her life was always unemployed and Throughout her entire life, she struggled with drug and alcohol addiction. 
she dropped out of school and began having children with her boyfriend. They would break up in the future when she was 20 years old. So she then started dating a man named Wayne, who was also very abusive. I think that sometimes it's true that people look to like, I want, uh, as a female, I looked for a mate that like resembled characteristics I find in my Mm -hmm. dad. Mm -hmm. And I think, and then vice versa, like men look for people that remind them of their mom, which is just also, if you think about that, it's a weird weird psychological like aspect of Mm -hmm. us, but that unfortunately means sometimes we gravitate towards things that are the negative things too. Yeah. So she did because Wayne was an abuser and he didn't only abuse Linda, but he also abused her four children. So she never really went to the police or social services about him abusing them until one day they got in an argument and just to get back at Wayne and for no other reason, she told the police. The problem with that is when the police show up and they go over the scene, they find that Linda has this drug and alcohol addiction and she, her children are taken away from her. Yeah. Uh, other little fun side note, Wayne doesn't show up anywhere else in the story, but he would later go on to murder three different random people oh. and was sentenced to life in prison. Good. That's the thing about the story. I'm just going to go ahead and tell you that the victim of the story included, there. No, you, nobody in the story is a good person. They're yeah. all horrible. Yeah. So, yeah. It's one of those type deals. Her children are taken away from her, which obviously throws Linda into an even deeper depression. And when you're more depressed, you are more likely to turn into drugs and alcohol. So her um, substance abuse got much, much worse. She was never able to become fully sober, but she was doing a little better, had shown some improvement, and was able to get her kids back by the time the murder took place. So she's got her four kids back. Now, Charlotte, she's the younger sister, the younger scissor sister, I should say, Yeah, yeah. was 21 years old at the time of, of the murder. So that's like a what, like a nine-year age difference between mm-hmm. the two sisters? She also struggled with drug and alcohol abuse and also didn't work except for the occasional prostitution. Yikes. And you want to know who taught her how to be a prostitute? Uh, um, I'm her, sure you're going to tell me anyway. Her her mother, Kathleen, showed her the ropes oh. on how to be a prostitute. Oh. Like I said, Kathleen and John did not have a good relationship, but she was too scared to leave him. So instead, Kathleen just went and got herself a boyfriend. This is, this is real complicated. It is. The, the web of uncomfortable things is mm-hmm. just growing. And we're just on the surface, Hannah. Great. So she goes and gets herself a boyfriend, enter Kenyan refugee. His name is Farah Swale Noor. Farah Swale Noor. And they met, um, as all successful relationships do, in a nightclub Perfect. in Dublin. Perfect. I'm sad that I missed out on these nightclubs when I was there. Yeah. (laughs) Farah actually moved into the family home, and John, the father, was like, nah, I'm I'm good. I I don't want to live here with your boyfriend. So he leaves and takes the six children with them. Eventually, Kathleen and Farah get their own place in Cork, which is not that far from Dublin. Been there, too. Surprise, surprise, Kathleen and 
Farah Farah did not have a great relationship. Well, yeah. Um, he, yeah. He hey, was, I'm married. I have six kids. We met in a nightclub. Come move in with my family. Yeah. It's, yeah. It doesn't set us up for success. So Farah was known for being very abusive. He had known to have a criminal history for being abusive. At one point, he broke both of Kathleen's wrists and was known to rape her. Ooh. Like I said, he had an, a history of this. And in 1997, when he was 30 years old, he raped a 16-year-old mentally disabled Asian girl. And I wouldn't normally bring up someone's race because uh, it's just it's not pertinent to the story. But it is. It will come back later. So um, this girl ended up having a son by him. He would later go on to rape two more girls, both of which ended up having his children. So he has several children out in the world I'm just... that he where he raped a woman and she had his child. Aye. He had lots and lots of convictions, most of which were sexual assault. So just overall and and he is the victim of the story. So oh, okay. the story is hard to like feel sorry for him, I'm gonna say that, because he is also a horrible person. Yeah. So there there's that. At some point, Farah and Kathleen move back to Dublin, and this is where the story takes place. On March 20th, 2005, remember um, St. Patrick's Day is March 17th, so this is just several days after St. Patrick's Day. Linda and Charlotte, the two daughters, the two sisters, were at home, and Charlotte's birthday was the next day, so she was looking to get turned. (laughs) <laughs> and she, you know, Misery Loves Company, she wanted Linda to get turned with her. The only problem was Linda is a recovering addict. Call, yeah. Weren't they both? Uh-huh. Well, no, Charlotte. Okay. Charlotte never tried. She was okay. fine in that life. But okay. Linda was trying. She had just gotten her children back. But by whatever means that Charlotte was able to convince Linda to party with her. So around 11 a.m. that day, Starting it off early, they begin drinking vodka and Coke. Sure. Kathleen, the mom, calls them and invites them over to celebrate with her and Farah. And at approximately 1.15 p.m., Charlotte and Linda catch a bus to go meet up with Kathleen and Farah, who have been drinking all morning. Like I said, it was March 20th. Uh, St. Patrick's Day was just three days before, and Kathleen and Farah had been on a binge yeah. since St. Patrick's Day. So they are just, just never never stopped partying since St. Patrick's they're Day. They're just three sheets to the wind. Three three days to the wind. Mm-hmm. Right. But they were looking for the party to keep going. They couldn't really afford to go to a pub. Like I said, these women didn't have jobs. They were living off, um, what what is it called over there? I don't know, like welfare? Yeah. Pretty much. I don't know if that's what they call it over there, but that, that's what they were doing. So instead of going to pubs, they just went to a liquor store and bought some bottles of alcohol and liquor and just went out on the street and just were drinking in the middle of the street, as one does. As one does when you don't have money mm-hmm. or any self-respect. Correct. <laughs> Correct. They eventually moved the party down to a pier where Linda pulls out a bag of ecstasy pills and she and Charlotte both take one. Okay, so Linda's clearly doing really good on the recovery track. Right. Kathleen sees this. The mom sees them taking the pills, and instead of being like, oh, gosh, my daughters are taking ecstasy pills. I should, you know, be a motherly figure here. She was like, nah, hit me up with one of those ecstasy pills. (laughs) So she also takes an ecstasy pills. 
So at this point, you have three women who are very, very drunk and now high on ecstasy. They did not give Farah an ecstasy pill because they knew that he became more violent when he did drugs. So the girls, like I said, did alcohol and ecstasy, but just Farah just continued to drink. He hadn't done any drugs at this point. Eventually, Farah became belligerent, regardless if he did the drugs or not. He had been drinking too much anyway. And he started drawing attention to the group, just being really loud, boisterous, all of that. And so the girls are like, okay, let's take him back to the apartment. He's kind of getting out of control. So on the walk back to the apartment, Farah reportedly saw this five-year-old little Asian baby. Remember the oh, yeah, he has a girl. He, son. Yeah, with the Asian woman that he, he raped. He sees this five-year-old little Asian boy And in his drunken state, he thinks this is his baby that he had via the other woman because that woman never let him see the child. Right. Right. So So he starts thinking this baby is his, starts freaking out, causing a scene. And he he goes up to the child and starts screaming, this is my baby, and just causing a complete ruckus. Yikes. This caused a fight between Kathleen and John because she's like, what do you do? And you're crazy. And also you're like, you think this is the the child that you had with another woman? That you raped? Yeah, this is awkward Mm -hmm. for me. Right. Um, Somehow they settle things down and they eventually make it back to Kathleen and John's apartment where, surprise, surprise, they continue drinking and doing drugs. And this is a side fact. I read where Charlotte, when she got back to the apartment and they started making drinks, she turned on a Sean Paul album to just, you know, Sean Paul. start the Atlantic meeting on it for a lot. Sean Paul, what'd it do? What'd it do? What'd it do? How it be? The fact that Sean Paul is able to get Beyonce on a track, just good for him. Yeah, good for you. Charlotte and Kathleen start making drinks in the kitchen. And Kathleen crushes up an ecstasy pill and puts it in Farrah's drink. Not really sure why at this point she thought he needed that, but... Why not? Why not at this point? Then they went into the living room where Linda and Farrah were sitting on the same sofa and right next to each other. And Charlotte and Kathleen just went and sat in separate chairs. At this point, Farrah is drunk, high out of his mind. And he starts getting very touchy and inappropriate with Linda. With one of the daughters, with one of the sisters. Ew. Starts whispering weird things in her ear. Ew. Linda eventually tries to get up because she's uncomfortable, and Farrah pulls her back down, not letting her leave. While this is going on, Kathleen and Charlotte had actually gone to the kitchen to make more drinks, but they heard the commotion in the living room. And when they return, Farrah is now trying to drag Linda into the bedroom. And Kathleen and Star- Charlotte start hitting him, obviously trying to get them get him off their mother. Farrah let go of Linda, and instead of continuing his assault on Linda, he then starts to brutally beat the mother, Kathleen. Yikes. He starts to push Kathleen towards the bedroom and is making a slitting throat motion to indicate that he plans to kill her. Now, this is all allegedly what they right. say. Kathleen starts to scream that he's going to kill her, and he told the girls, please kill him for me. So Charlotte runs into the kitchen. Oh, so they're saying the mom said to kill Mm -hmm. him? Charlotte runs into the kitchen and gets a knife, and she's behind Farah. She grabs Farah by the collar, wraps her arm around his neck, and then slits his his throat with the knife. He stumbles into the bedroom where he falls and hits his head on the corner of the bed, 
but he's still alive at this point somehow. <laughs> so Charlotte again reaches around his neck, cuts his throat. Somehow he's still alive. So Linda runs and gets a hammer and starts pummeling Farah over the head. Oh. And as if this wasn't enough, Charlotte went back to get a different knife out of the kitchen and returned and stabbed Farah 27 times. I, I was interested why, like, she tried to slit his throat first rather than just stabbing him. I don't know. I feel like most stories... I think like, if you're going to kill someone, you slash their carotid and they're dead. Yeah. And maybe because he was making, like, a throat slashing mm-hmm. sign to the it mom, kinda, it made her think, like, that's what she needed to do to Inspired him. her. Yeah. So, um, they, he's been, his throat has been slit twice. He's been pummeled in the head with a hammer and then stabbed 27 times. So at this point he is dead as a doornail. While all of this is going on, Kathleen was just sitting in the living room, watching TV, continuing to drink. What a, what a great mom. She's like, y'all, she's like, girls, (laughs) y'all take take care of, y'all take care of this. Yeah. Eventually Farrah dies and the reality starts to sink in with Charlotte and Linda They start crying and hugging one another, and then they walk out into the living room, covered in blood, holding hands, and tell their mother what happened. Which also, they're, what, 21 and 30, Mm -hmm. so they're not, like, children. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, they're definitely, yeah, there's some responsibility there. Yeah. Kathleen freaks out and tells them that they have to get rid of the body. Linda and Charlotte then drag Farah to the bathroom where Charlotte supposedly told Linda that they were going to have to, quote, cut him up. Ah, there it is. However, Charlotte says that it was Kathleen's idea to have him cut up. Classic But nevertheless, they begin the process of dismembering his body. And the only weapons they had to do this was a nine-inch bread knife. Which, what is a bread knife? I can't even cut a piece of bread with a bread knife. No, and I, I, yeah, we have a bread knife, Mm -hmm. and it's not... It's not the best knife. Yeah. I don't know. Um, and I don't, I don't... Oh, you know what I'm thinking of? It's like a butter knife. Oh, yeah. No, butter's one thing. A bread knife has those like tiny little like extra serrated edges oh. on it. But still, it's not... I mean, I don't... I wouldn't, I, yeah, I wouldn't compare a human body to a, slice, to a loaf of bread. Right. Well, it's all they got. So she got that and a tiny little Stanley knife, which Stanley knives are really sharp. I will warn you, I'm going to describe this dismemberment process coming up so if you want to skip ahead 30 seconds just go right on ahead we don't blame you lovely charlotte starts with his legs and she begins to cut below his knee takes that part off and then cuts it off his the rest of his leg off at his hip so at this point his legs were in four different pieces for whatever reason they cut a huge hole in his abdomen they didn't take out his intestines or anything they just cut a huge hole in his abdomen i don't know if they thought maybe they could sever his torso into two different pieces and then realize that that was too messy because of all the organs that are in there. They cut off his penis. They also cut off his head. And in the end, there were nine pieces of his body that they stuffed into trash bags. The only problem was the trash collection wasn't for another five more days, and they couldn't wait that long with a decomposing body in the apartment. Yeah, it'd start to smell, and people would get suspicious. Right. So they ended up putting his body into three of his own, Farah's, his own gym bags, and then they began the 
process of cleaning the apartment. And police later stated that their cleanup job was just absolutely impeccable, that they had bleached everything, which just imagine someone taking, I love to clean. Imagine me taking an ecstasy pill and then cleaning. <laughs> like my, I, I would have bleached my fingernails oh, or my yeah. fingerprints off. Yeah, they probably did. So they did an excellent job cleaning. And the next morning, the three women set off to dump the body in the Royal Canal, which is so weird because I have pictures of me standing in front of this canal. It's a really pretty place and, where people walk, like stone-paved um, streets and everything. You and, didn't even know. And I didn't even know at that time. But it's okay. We're going we're gonna to make it back there one day. Hashtag COVID, you can go kill yourself. Anyways, they knew he couldn't be identified by his head if his head wasn't there, so they stuffed his head in a separate bag and drove it to a nearby town. They went into a park where they buried his head in a shallow grave under a park bench, and then they threw the murder weapons into a nearby pond. For the next several days, they continued on this drinking and drug binge. And then 10 days after the murder, on March 30th, 2005, you know, people, there's tons of people that stroll this canal. It's a pretty place, whatever. Someone, I imagine just myself being there and taking a leisurely stroll and see a disembodied leg with a sock stool on it floating down the canal. So that is what this person sees. They report it to the police. They have found his human leg. I mean, his, well, obviously it's a human leg. He's a human, <laughs> but they found this leg. And um, after the murder, the three women would actually walk the canal, as we see many murderers returning to the crime scene. That's a thing that they'll do. And they were actually caught on camera, like on a news report, as onlookers, when the press was filming the investigation team pulling the body parts out of the water, you can see them on this little bridge overlooking the the canal, and they just look like just hanging out, you know, normal ladies watching what's going on with everybody else. Linda was so worried that the police would find the head that she went back to the park, dug up the head, and then reburied it in another park. The police initially identified him as a white male because the water had washed away the pigmentation of his skin until they removed, you know, pulled back part of his clothing and the parts of his skin that were underneath the clothing were still his natural color. And uh, they could tell that this was an African-American man. Because his head and genitals were missing, the police initially thought that this was a ritual killing because there had been a similar case where a torso washed up on the Thames River. Police put out information regarding the type of clothes that they found Pharaoh was wearing to see if anyone would recognize it. And lo and behold, a friend of Pharaoh who had noticed that Pharaoh was missing, he hadn't been able to get in touch with him for several days, recognized the clothing and told the police I believe this is Farrah's body. I, I'm I'm shocked that like the water washes off like the pigmentation of your skin, but like your clothes are still intact. Yeah, we're also just like the um, decaying process. Yeah, takes off of like that first yeah. level of yeah. A hundred days after they found the dismembered leg floating in the Royal Canal, the body was identified as Farrah's. The police immediately contact Kathleen. She's the closest person to him at this point and she is their number one suspect they're hounding her all the time not the two sisters but just the mom kathleen so kathleen goes to the prison where two of her sons are at because this family is obviously 
just I was about to say, has wait, this, a bunch of shining stars in it. Seriously. And she tells them everything that happened. And the sons are like, we're not going to let our mom take the fall for this if uh, Linda and Charlotte were the killers. So they told the police what they knew to clear their mom's name. And eventually the police turned their sights on Linda and Charlotte as well. The police went to the flat where Kathleen and Farrah were living at the time. And when they got there, they noticed a huge chunk of carpet was missing, which is always a great sign. They called in the forensics team after they saw this. However, since Kathleen and Farrah had lived at that apartment, two different set of tenants had moved in and out. The walls had been painted. There was new furniture everywhere, etc. So it was hard. There was a lot of contamination of the crime scene, obviously. They had a difficult time collecting evidence for this reason, but they were able to find very tiny blood spots all over the apartment. You also imagine if you're that current tenant. You're just like, okay. like hey, we think somebody was di- murdered and mm-hmm. dismembered here. Yeah, I'm just going to break that lease agreement right now. Yep. See y'all later. See you on the flippity flop. The police eventually interview Linda and Charlotte. And at this point, Linda is a wreck. Like this really messed with her. Charlotte, like it doesn't seem like she has a guilty conscience. Linda was really torn up about it. And as soon as they enter, uh, view her, she admits to everything. At one point, she had even tried to commit suicide. So she's really taking it hard. Well, and wasn't she the one that like had kids and was trying mm-hmm. to turn, turn her, her, life, her around. life around? Yeah. So she said that she and Charlotte killed Farah. However, Charlotte is saying that Kathleen killed Farah. So Charlotte's trying to put it on the mom. Meanwhile, Kathleen has cut off all ties with her daughters and fled the country to England to avoid being prosecuted because that doesn't make you look guilty. Yeah, Mother of the Year Award. Mm -hmm. Linda and Charlotte were both charged with Farrah's murder, and their trial began in October of 2006. Charlotte was found guilty of murder and sentenced to life in prison, but Linda was only found guilty of manslaughter on the grounds that she was provoked. You know, he attempted to assault her. And she was only given 15 years. Interesting Uh that they got different sentences. At some point, Kathleen comes back to Ireland on her own volition, and she was charged with several offenses, including giving false information to police and withholding information. And she was sentenced to five years in May of 2009. This is just a sad note or not because he was also a physical abuser, but John, Kathleen's husband and the girl's father was found hung in a park with a suicide note stating that he couldn't live knowing that his daughters were murderers. How about you can't live with yourself because you, yeah. you abused your wife and children? Which that's probably on, honestly, that's probably what the real reason was mm-hmm. that he did that, but he's going to play it off. Like, yeah. Use them as a scapegoat. Yeah. Use them as a scapegoat. Farrah's head and penis have never been found until this day. Don't know where it's at. They probably were like, look, we identified the body. No need. Mm -hmm. No need to go looking. In 2008, Charlotte made headlines after there was a picture leaked of her holding a knife to a male inmate's neck. So she's she's just doing the dang thing in prison. No no repentance from Charlotte. Nope. You're just continuing on that good track. And then in 2019, Charlotte was in trouble again for having sex with a female prison guard. They were caught in the act. So after both of these offenses, she had to be moved to a different prison. And, and Char- Charlotte's just wild. Charlotte she don't, you Charlotte don't you, care. You seem like you are where you need to be. Mm-hmm. Charlotte just doesn't seem to have a care in the world. No, she doesn't. In January of 2018, Linda was finally released from prison at the age of 42. 
and all I know is that she's living in Dublin. I'm not sure if she got her kids back or anything like that. I would assume not. I'm going to assume not either. Because you assisted in a murder. In 2018, Kathleen did an interview where she said that she was dying. She said she had a large hole in her lung that needed an operation. And she said that Charlotte, because Charlotte just seems like the brightest bulb in the box, offered to give her one of her lungs. Uh, why, but also, why are your mom just like threw yeah. you under a bus? Yeah, why your are you mom offering to give her your lung. Yeah, your mom threw you. Charlotte seems like she's got some some issues. Your mm-hmm. mom threw you under the bus, ran away to mm-hmm. a, to another country to let you take the fall for all of this. Mm-hmm. And now you're just like, I'm gonna give you one of my lungs. Well, she, Charlotte, not Charlotte. Sorry, Kathleen really wanted to have a relationship again with Linda and tried to rekindle things with her, but Linda, to this day, does not speak to her. I don't blame her. I hope Linda is out off, um, you know, just sitting on the the um, cliffs, the famous cliffs of Mower mm-hmm. in Ireland, just reminiscing, completely sober, with her four children, living a good life. I hope so. And I hope Charlotte stays in prison because she's obviously a little deranged in the head. Yep. Yikes! That whole family is ha- yeah had a tough go round mm-hmm. all the way around. So that is the story of the Scissor Sisters. I actually looked up this. The Scissor Sisters is actually a band. Okay, interesting. And, and they they, they, they had a use... song popular on Dance Dance Revolution. I loved Dance Dance mm-hmm. Revolution. Back they in also the day. they also had a song. I'm just a little rattled because it doesn't seem like did they actually they didn't actually use scissors to cut him up. No, but but um, the knife sisters. But like the knife sisters, that's not alliteration. The, it's the, not as catchy. The bread knife sisters doesn't ring a bell. Yeah, the scissor sisters actually have songs called "Take Your Mama." Okay. Oh, they also have another song called "Sex and Violence." So were they were they before or after this murder? Their first album was in two thousand four. Okay, so, so right before this murder right, happened in like two thousand five. Right, right before. Mm hmm. Well, they have another song called Shady Love. Well, they... Are we sure? An F, yeah. Are we sure this band <laughs> wasn't uh, Linda and Charlotte? Yeah, it could have been. Similar could themes. have been. Interesting facts. Similar themes. Facts. Probably not going to listen to that band. Pro- well, I do I do enjoy that. I don't feel like dancing. Ba-dun, da-dun, da-dun, da-dun. I never know the words to songs. I just... That's beautiful. I love it. <laughs> and with that thanks and for with that thanks, thanks for, joining for joining us on this episode we'll leave you on that note have a great saint patrick's day drink some green beer eat some four-leaf clover cookies and don't and get don't in a murder plot with your sister where you stab somebody and, and chop and them up and chop their penis up and they never find it see you next week bye <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye.